from St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Today is our fourth and final week of our sermon series on St. Paul's epistle to the the Colossians. We've looked at this this for the past four weeks, one chapter a week, basically. And we've been looking at this uh, text in the context of our own church today because the church at Colossus, which is in modern-day Turkey, is, is fighting, wrestling with the same sort of cultural issues that we are even today. The, the circumstances are different in the second century than today, but the basic question of how do we live in a culture as Christians, which is so radically different from our own worldview, how do we do it? How do we do it? We said a couple of weeks ago, secular atheism, which is where we're headed, this train is going, wants to destroy the very things that our society, holds our society together, family, religion, culture. And we have, we are then called to live differently, rooted in Christ, to encourage one another, chapter two, to know where we're going and how to get there, chapter three. If you haven't been here for the series, I encourage you to go back on our website. You can watch the sermons there. It's a very important sermon series for, our, for today. You can also get it on podcast if that's your thing. But here's, the, we're gonna wrap up today with chapter four. And the gist of chapter four is basically this. If you wanna change the culture in which we live, then you've gotta be ready to tell your story. So what do you do? when you are challenged by someone who challenges you for being a Christian, who thinks that you're just a religious fuddy-duddy or whatever, that challenges your belief. Well, there's three things I want to talk about today that comes right out of Paul's text, and it's supremely practical and supremely pastoral. Three things Paul says when you are challenged for your faith. Use your time wisely, speak purposefully, and know your story. So when you're confronted with someone at the dinner table or one of your friends or somebody over lunch and they challenge you for your faith, Paul says, hang on. Use your time wisely. Speak purposefully and know your story. So first thing, Paul says, point one, when you're confronted with someone who challenges you, Paul says, use your time wisely. You know, he says here, verse, verse four, I, I love this because this is such a, this kind of lets you off the hook a little bit. I hope you'll see it. He says, Paul says in verse four, when someone comes to you and attacks you for your faith, verse four, an outsider that is, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. I have a good friend of mine. Um, his name is not John, <laughs> but I'm going to call him John. Uh, about four or five years ago, he called me, and he was having a, a problem with his boss at work. His boss was treating him poorly, wasn't really jiving together. The two of the, I think it was kind of a lot of just a personality thing, too. They, was just, they, they clashed. But he described, John was relaying to me how his boss was, uh, did not respect him, discounted his opinions, called him a bigot. You get the idea, right? It was not a good relationship at all. And he's telling me about all this, what he was going to do, and set the record straight, and go in there and bang his fist on the desk and set this guy straight once for all. And I said, John, 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 hang on. I know this guy pretty well. I said, John, hang on. I said, if you go looking for a fight, don't be surprised if you find one. If you go looking for a fight, 
don't be surprised if you find one. Well, he went looking for a fight, and he found it, and he's no longer working there. He got fired. Here's the thing. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. What does that mean? Wisdom, wisdom does not mean smarts, right? I was in graduate school. There's not a lot of what, well, there's some wise people there, but there's a lot of very intelligent people in grad school that weren't all that wise, right? Wisdom is typically something that we attribute to people with, with kind of years under your belt. What does wisdom mean? Wisdom is the ability, biblically, biblical wisdom is the ability to know what to do in a certain situation. So let's just say your, your wisdom is the ability to know truth from error, to know what to do when you are confronted with the situation. Paul says, when you're confronted with a non-believer, someone who is a non-Christian, ask yourself the question, is this conversation worth it? You know, when someone wrongs you or mischaracterizes you or attacks you for your belief, your Christian faith, it hurts. You get your back up, so do I. We want to let him have it, right? We want, to, we want to punch back all the time, right? Paul says, hang on, man. Be wise. Paul's not saying be a coward because Paul is actually writing this letter from prison, and he's in prison because he stuck up for Jesus. So Paul's not a coward, and Paul is not advocating for you or I to be cowards when it comes to standing up for Jesus. But he is saying, be wise. Ask yourself the question when somebody challenges you about your faith and someone wants to get into it with you in an argument, ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Is it worth the consequence to take this person on? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. That's why Paul says, be wise. And if you're not sure, ask God to give you wisdom. He also says, make sure it's worth your time. He says, uh, make the, be wise. In other words, don't go fight in every fight. Don't take every challenge. Don't always punch back. Think before you speak, my mom used to say. He also says, make the best use of your time, which means that sometimes arguments aren't worth your time. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. His, he says to his disciples, when you go into a town and they refuse to hear you, he doesn't say, stand there and keep talking till they listen. He doesn't say, keep at it. He says, nope, if you go there and they refuse to listen to you, shake the dust from your feet and move on. Brothers and sisters, let me just say this. This is such incredibly practically good advice. It's biblical advice about what you do with people that want to Go dukes up with you all the time. Be wise about whether or not you engage or not. Listen, if there's somebody who repeatedly and intentionally wants to pick a fight with you at every turn over your beliefs, wants to always pick a fight with you at every time of the things that you stand for, A, I would say, why do you spend time with them in the first place? But B, Paul says, don't waste your time. Be wise in whom you engage. Choose carefully whom you are going to engage in an argument, in a discussion. Who you're going to take on when somebody challenges you. Paul says, be wise and don't waste your time. He also says, point number two, if you do say something, speak purposefully. Listen to this. Paul says this, make the best, Paul says, make the be, be wise, make the best use of your time, and he has two qualifiers. Let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. What does that mean? 
Well, gracious is a Greek word, charis. And grace is what God is to you and I. He is gracious to you and I. Meaning that before we were on the Jesus bus, he was kind to us. He gives us things that we do not deserve. He gives us undeserved favor, even though we don't deserve it. Paul says, when you speak, be gracious. It doesn't mean eloquent or, you know, it means don't go tit for tat. Don't go quid pro quo. Give that person the benefit of the doubt. If they come firing off at you, be gracious to them. Give them what they don't deserve which is maybe a little bit of kindness. He says, and season your words with salt. Now, now if you're like me, you hear a salty language. All right, now we're talking, okay? <laughs> That's easy. No, no, hang on. You don't get off the, you don't get a good pass there either. Salt, salty language is not what you think it means. Um, salt, in, in the first century, salt was used for two things. It was meant as a, as a seasoning, right? Meant to be, taste good. That's what we think of. But it was also, more importantly, salt was used as a preservative, and that's an important thing. Paul says this two things. Be gracious, meaning don't go full blast every time. And when you do speak, have your words seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Well, what Paul's saying is if you're going to say something, make sure that whatever you say is there to preserve. In other words, when you go at them, ask yourself this question. When somebody comes at you before you speak, when you're wise and you decide to speak, ask yourself this question. Am I striving to build up or am I striving to tear down? You are supposed to be salty, preserving. You are called to, pre to build up and not tear down a and build up and preserve a friendship, a relationship, that person's relationship with God. In other words, your motivation has to be to preserve something good. Look, secular atheism, their job, their goal is to destroy Christianity. Our goal is to convert them. The ends are different. Your job is not to, not to be vengeful or always be right, for that matter. But your words have to be chosen if they preserve something, if they are salty. Let me give you an example. If you've ever confronted somebody with an addiction, I've never done this, but I've seen it done. I've walked to people that have gone through it. Somebody with an addiction, to confront them with an addiction is a very complicated and very difficult thing to do because addiction hurts not just the addict, but everybody around her or him. Family, kids, friends, you name it. And when you confront an addict, it's easy to lash out at that person, right? To make them squirm. Do you realize what you've done to our family? Do you realize what you've done to my relationship with you? That's what we want to do. That's what the world wants to do. Paul says, hang on, hang on, time out, throw a flag. Be salty. Are you, in your words, trying to preserve something, that person's life, your relationship, or are you trying to destroy something in anger? If Paul says, if it's anger, keep your mouth shut. My grandmother used to say something, which I was thinking about this this past week. She'd say, you know, if you can't say something nice, what? Don't say it at all, right? That's not true. My grandmother would say, if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. That's not true. That's actually bad advice. I'll tell you why. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my entire life, some of the best counsel that really has changed me, some of the most important words ever spoken to me were not nice. They were true. They were accurate. They were even critical. But they weren't nice. But that person 
my wife. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Here's the thing. She would always, if she, and you know, anybody's like this. If you, what makes the difference is that person has my best interests in mind to preserve something in me. If you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. That's not true unless what you're going to say is something which is going to preserve. Be salty for the person you're speaking with. So before you speak, before you engage with somebody who wants to pick a fight with you, are you being salty in the biblical sense of the word? Are you hoping to preserve something in them which maybe they need to be reminded of? Are you there to build up something in the other person rather than just tear them down? Paul says, don't waste your time, point one. Be wise, rather, point one. Don't waste your time. Point number two, be salty. And then you want to know how to really change a person's heart. You know how to really engage in an argument with someone, if you can call it that, is to know your story. Point three, know your story. So say you're in a, in a conversation with an outsider, a non-believer, Paul says, and if the time is right and God is saying, yeah, well, I need you to speak something, and your heart really is in a place of trying to build that person up and be, a, be salty and be a preservative with them, Paul says, know and tell your stories, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. You know, some of us are afraid to speak about our faith. When people challenge you, people are afraid. And sometimes it's getting worse because you just get attacked these days, right? On, you know, ad hominem attacks sometimes. Some of us are afraid to speak up for our faith because sometimes we're just cowards, sometimes. But I think sometimes, more often than not, with people that really do love the Lord and are trying to grow in their faith, sometimes we don't speak up in our faith because we just don't know what to say. I mean, most of us have a general idea of Scripture. Most of have a pretty good broad idea of the, the narrative of our biblical story. But most of us are not comfortable quoting Scripture and ripping out your Bible and, well, here it says this and here it says this. Has anybody here ever done that and been effective? I've known lots of people in my life that can quote Scripture, ver chapter and verse, and it was done neither with wisdom or salt or graciousness. So my point is, when we think of sharing our faith, we think of pulling out a Bible and, and pointing here and there and showing them, trying to make a point, trying to prove our point. But let me just make, draw some, make something clear to you here, obviously. When Paul's writing his letter to the Colossians, there was no Bible. A, these people couldn't read, most of them, and there was no New Testament yet. So the point I'm trying to make is that picking up a scripture and quoting biblical verses to somebody to try to beat them down or try to convince them that you're right is not biblical. There was no scripture back then to quote from. I'm not knocking scripture. I'm saying that the way the Bible tells you how to convert is by sharing your story. How? Well, again, the Bible tells us how. 1 Peter 3.15 one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it shows us how you and I are called to minister to an outsider. Paul says this, always be prepared, always be ready to make a defense for the, to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. Always be ready to offer your story. Always be ready to offer a defense to anyone who asks you for why you're different than they are. 
See, friends, your job is, your job is not to convert people, and your job is not to bang and, and, and beat people down. Your job is to tell your story, to testify, to bear witness, is another way Scripture talks about this. And your story is very simply this. How has Jesus changed, and how is he changing you? If you want to know how to change our country, our culture, our community, your family, your marriage, whatever, if you want to know how to do it, know your story and be ready to share it. Always be prepared, Peter says, always. And if you're not ready, then you're not prepared. Always be ready to offer a defense to anyone for the hope that is in you. So here's my question. And this is sort of funny how Paul ends this letter, not with some apologetic, you know, didactic instruction about how to dismantle an opponent's worldview. That's a lot of fun, by the way. But it's not what he says to do. He says, the way you do it is you tell your story. And in fact, at the very end of the, per- at the, the very last thing he says is, remember my chains. You know what that is? Remember my chains, Paul says. He is reminding them that he is in prison. He is telling them his story. So here's, your, here's a question. Here's homework for you. And this is a big one, and this is important. Do you know your story? Everybody's got one. Do you know yours? The question isn't, do you have a story? The question is, do you know your story? Have you taken the time to sit down and think through how God has and how God is changing you? And are you ready to share it? See, what really brings people to Jesus is a changed life. What really brings people to Jesus as are people that have been brought to Jesus. Not, not Facebook posts or Twitter feeds or blog posts, but a person who is willing to sit down with someone and say, you know what? I was blind once too, and now I see. I didn't believe this Jesus mumbo-jumbo at one point in my life, but let me show you what he's done for me. Let me, show you, let me tell you my story. You know, I remember, and, and our stories are all different, but it could be, for example, you know, I remember when my wife died and how I felt, and how God has changed me. I remember when my kids left home, right, and I was an empty nester, and my wife and I looked at each other and went, now what do we do, right, which happens a lot. Let me show you how Jesus changed me. Let me tell you about when I lost my job, or someone close to me died, or I've been in your shoes. Let me tell you how Jesus changed me. And the cool thing about that is that they can't argue it. The wonderful thing about 1 Peter 3.15, why I love it so much as a pastoral and practical way to share your faith, is a person cannot tell you that you're wrong. I'll give you an example from my own life. There's lots of examples, but I can give you one, one brief one. I tell people what really brought me to faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior was when I was in graduate school. I was 22, 23 years old. I was teaching statistics and scientific research methodology. Woohoo! That's fun. That's what brought me to Jesus. And I tell people that story. They're like, wait, what? You're a left-brained IT engineer who came to faith in Christianity because you taught scientific research methods? I say, yes. And they say, well, that's awfully weird. And I say, yes, it is, but it's also true. They can't argue it. It might not gel with them. It might not be what their experience is, but they can't tell me that I'm wrong, you see. That's your job, too, is to to know your story and be ready and able to share it. See, friends, our job isn't to change the world. 
Our job isn't, isn't to convert the world. Our job isn't to change the world. Our job isn't even to change the people in your life. That's God's job. And he's a big boy and he knows what he's doing. Your job, your job and mine, is to be wise, to be salty in our speech, and to know your story and be willing to tell it. So the end of the matter on Colossians, as far as I can tell about how we deal with our culture today, is simply this. Do you know your story, and are you willing to share it? Because, see, friends, conversion of cultures, conversion of families, conversions of communities happens one person at a time between a person who was lost and has been found, who has been found by someone else who was at one point lost and has been found. Every, human, every Christian is brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of another one. So if you want to be a force for change, be the person who brings someone to Jesus. Be wise. Be gracious. Be salty. Know your story and be willing to share it. That is how you change the world. That is how you change lives for good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Paul, for his epistle to the Colossians, which is a cultural commentary on our own day. Help us when we are confronted with non-believers to be wise in our actions, to be gracious with our words, to be salt, to build up, and not to tear down. Lord, help us to know our own story and have the courage and will to share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.